So it's really good to see everybody. I want to thank y'all for being here, being part of the group. It's so good to see uh, several of you come back and bounce back into good health. And I missed you guys. Um, we're going to go ahead and get started in our lesson today. Um, remember, if you've been a part of our group for any amount of time, you will know that for the last two or three years we've been doing the life of Christ. And we've been going verse by verse through the Gospels. And we have been doing a harmony of the Gospels. Who remembers what we said a harmony of the Gospels was? What does that mean, a harmony of the Gospels? How they all fit together. How they all fit together. Yeah. Like a melody. Matthew what? Matthew 16 is where we're going to be. And so, uh, yeah, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all considered gospels or the good news, right? That's what the word gospel means. And then each one of them have their own perspective and their own timeline. And so what we've done is we've taken all four of their stories and kind of melded them together into one chronological expression of the life of Christ his earthly ministry, his first advent, if you will. So he was born of the virgin, uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, right? So what are we focusing on from the time that he was born of a virgin uh, until the time that he ascended back into heaven? That's the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Jesus is definitely in the Old Testament, and Jesus is definitely the 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 pinpoint or the focus of eschatology, which means the last thing. So on the last day when he comes back, he's going to definitely still be the center of attention. And the Bible, all of Scripture, is all focused on Jesus and who he is. But the Gospels, in particular, focus on his earthly ministry, his first advent or his first coming. And if any of you remember... Um, uh, in John chapter 1, I don't want you to turn there. We're going to stay in Matthew 18. But remember in John chapter 16. 16. 16. John chapter 1. And it uh, John said to us, it says that <clears throat> there was the true light which was coming into the world that enlightened every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Uh, yet the world did not know him. So what is that saying? It's saying that Jesus was around at creation, that he is the creator. So he's always been. But then it says this, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Who is his own would it, people? Would it be wrong to say that the world was made through him and for him? Yeah, no, that's that's people? actually biblical. That's the okay. book of Colossians. Yeah, okay. and, and everything holds together and consists in him. Okay. He's the one that keeps everything together. All right. So uh, when you look at the news, when you look at the world around you, and you think that everything is falling apart, the reality is, is that he's holding everything together. There's nothing falling apart. It's just all falling into place, right? Nothing is falling apart. It's just falling into place. And so all of the craziness that we see going on in the world around us right now is playing out for our good and his glory. And if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, uh, at the end of time, we'll be able to turn around and look back on our lives and see that he had been guiding us all along. Um, if you have rejected him all along, you'll be able to turn back and see all of the times that you rejected him in your life. And so this whole life that you live is basically a testing ground to see, uh, prove whether you are a child of God or a child of Satan. If you're a child of God, what are you going to do? You're going to receive him, you're going to believe him, and you're going to be eternally saved. If you're not his child, you're going to reject him, you're going to deny him, and you'll be eternally damned. And so he says um, he was in the world, the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Why did the world not know him? Because he is light and the world is caught up in darkness. And it says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So who were his own people at the time when he came? The Jews. The Jewish people. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day and went to the temple all of his life, right? And so when we think about that, think about the fact that he came and he proclaimed the truth. And what did his own people do? They rejected him. Now, you may say, well, this is the first chance that they had to reject God. And the reality is that's not true at all because the Old Testament prophets came and prophesied of him and prophesied of who he was and what did the people do in the Old Testament? They rejected him. So his truth, his word, his promise has been rejected throughout all time. People reject it. They don't want to believe it. All right. But as many as received him, 
he or he came to his own, his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so in his earthly ministry, you see Jesus putting the gospel message, the word, the promise of God in shoe leather. He's walking it out in the world around him so that everybody can see it. And what are people doing? They're either receiving him and believing him, or they are either what? Rejecting him and pushing him away. Now, for those of you who are a part of the last time we had class together, you will remember that Jesus had rebuked some men. And these men had said, show us a sign to prove to us who you are. Show us something. And does anybody remember what Jesus said to them? What did he say? I gave you the sign of Jonah. Yeah, Yeah. he said the only sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And in the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the earth three days and three nights, even so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the well, even so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. What was Jesus referring to there? When he said, if you want a sign, the sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. What is, it, what is he talking about? In the same way that Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, even so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. What is he talking about there? Death. Death and what? Resurrection. Resurrection. His death and his burial. How many days was Jesus in the ground? Three days. And what happened? Uh, what happened on the third day? Low in the grave he laid. Jesus, my Savior. I remember that song. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose from the victor of the dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose, Christ Jesus arose. That's what we celebrated Easter every year, right? And so when Jesus came, he came proclaiming the truth. And we saw last time we were together that there was a group of people that rejected that truth. And they asked for a sign for him to prove who he was. And why did he reject the sign? If you remember what we talked about last time we were together, Jesus knows the hearts of men. And Jesus also knows that no matter how much proof you give people, visual proof, they still won't believe you. If their heart is not in the right place, no matter how much you try to show them, they simply will not believe. Right? We were, we were talking uh, before class got started, we were talking about the coronavirus, all right? And so uh, some people are on the side that we should get vaccines, right? And you know what the people that say we get vaccines are saying? It's all of you people that didn't get the vaccine that are causing us to all get sick. But the people that are against the vaccines, you know what they're saying? It's because of you people that took the vaccine that we're getting sick, you see? And no matter how much proof you throw out there for your argument, there is going to be a group of people that are simply not going to believe you. Like that global warming. Yeah. And so no matter what, once you've got your mind made up for something, no matter how much proof somebody gives you, you simply will not believe. And what we learned last time together was, remember, seeing is not believing. No matter how much you see, you won't believe. But what we learned was, believing is seeing. That it's through faith and it's through trust in God's promises that you are allowed to see the truth. And receive the truth and believe the truth. And so last time we were together, we saw one group of people that received him and believed him. And we saw another group of people who rejected him. Okay. Then he spoke to them about, um, about spiritual food. And we taught, he, he warned them to beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, in modern language, beware of the false teachings of the religious hypocrites. Beware of the flock. Right, right. <laughs> Beware of the false teaching of the religious hypocrites. There was a group of people that was walking around and wore the right clothes and talked the right talk and acted the right way in public. But Jesus wasn't looking at how they acted in public. What was Jesus looking at? Their hearts. Yeah, their hearts, right? And so what he said was, be careful because... People will take the true word of God and then put a lot of fluff, as you say, Lord. They'll put a lot of uh, huff and puff, a lot of smoke and mirrors, mix it in with it so that you can't really see the truth that good. And so Jesus warned them to beware of these false teachings. Okay? 
And then we learned that, uh, again, that there was a group of people that did follow him, that did trust him, that did walk with him. There was also a group of people who rejected him. And the same thing's going on today. And he warned his disciples about these false teachings. Why? Because it's not just those people over there or that denomination over there that you need to focus on being deceived. Who was Jesus speaking to when he told them to beware of the false teachings? His own disciples. And that's very important for us to remember because it's very easy for us to get wrapped up into worldly wisdom and earthly philosophies and carnal understanding and lose sight of the truth. You see? I mean, I, no matter what side of the argument you fall on with all of this pandemic or pandemic, whatever you want to call it, that's going on in the world around us, as a Christian, I'm just going to be blatantly honest with you. I have a gloom that hangs over me now every day. It's been instilled in me through me, and I don't even watch the news, so I'm glad I don't because I, I don't know if I'd be able to go out and function. But the reality is now every time somebody coughs around me or every time somebody sneezes, right, or every time I wake up with a little sinus drainage from allergies, I, what am I thinking? Oh, no, here it comes. I'm going down now, you know. And so <clears throat> the truth of the matter is I need to learn to trust in God, and yet the world around me, and my natural understanding and and the things that I'm experiencing around me in life weigh heavy on me. And they cause me to doubt. And they cause me to be anxious. And they cause me to be afraid. And if I'm not careful, they will cause me to put my trust in men mm-hmm. instead of God. But isn't that a every human being? Yes. I, but, and so think about that. It's very, it's very true. I'm sharing that with you to let you know that it weigh, this stuff weighs heavy on me every day. I see family. My sister's had it, and she just got back from the hospital yesterday. And, and, and like, you see it as your friend. And this ain't no joke. Like, people are, like, really dying. But when I continually focus on the externals going on around me, and when I'm constantly focusing on my abilities and my strengths, I get sad. I get anxious. I get depressed. I get, I, I feel shame and guilt and, and sorrow. When in reality, what do I need to do? I need to focus on Christ and His truth and His promises for me. Because the reality is that if I get COVID tomorrow and die, I'm going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Like, it's my time to go. And there ain't no vent. There ain't no uh, antibiotic. There ain't nothing in the world going to keep me from going to, to my home and to my Lord when it's that time. And so I need to focus on truth. And that's what he's been trying to teach his disciples. And that's what we've been seeing. And so today we're going to look at a statement that Peter is going to make. And what we're going to see is the crowd and the world around him rejected him and his message. But Peter is going to make an amazing observation here today. So turn with me. Let's look at... um, Matthew chapter 13, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And um, I don't think we've prayed yet. So we need to open up with prayer, okay? Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. And thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to open up your word, your truth. Your word is truth. And being able to glean from it the things that we need to make it through this day. Give us this day our daily bread. And Lord, it is so good to see some old friends and some new faces and and just to be around people that we love, people that we're going to spend eternity with, people that are struggling and people that are working out their salvation. And so thank you. Thank you for this time for us to come and fellowship in your name among your people. And I pray that you will help us today to see your truth in the same way that Peter recognized who you are. Help us to see you and receive you and believe you. And uh, help us to go out and then share that truth with the folks that you place in our path. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, but still others say Jeremiah or one of the 
prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, uh, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he is the Christ. All right, so let's go back through now and talk about what we've read. First thing, it says Jesus came to the Caesarea uh, Philippi and he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Who do, now, when he uses that term, Son of Man, um, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. Um, it means that, that as God in the flesh, he is identifying with the children of Adam, uh, that he is recognizing that he was born on this earth in a physical body. Remember, Jesus does have a physical body, and he's identifying when it says, so who is the Son of Man? Um, in the Old Testament, uh, in several of the prophets, uh, especially Ezekiel and a little in Daniel, um, the reference to the coming one is that he is the Son of Man. And so when Jesus uses this term, Son of Man, what he's doing is, number one, he's identifying that he is of the people. And number two, he is identifying that he is the one that the prophet spoke of. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. He's, he, he's showing that he is who the prophets were pro- prophesying. So he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now, some of them said that he was John the Baptist. All right, now what do we learn about John the Baptist? What do we know about John the Baptist? Uh, he, was, he wasn't the Christ. Good. He was the he, he was the one that to declare the coming one, right? And he did that in the wilderness. That's exactly right. We know that John the Baptist is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy because what was the promise that before the Messiah comes, the herald will come and proclaim that he is here. And what did John the Baptist do? He pointed and said, "Look, everybody, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world." He pointed Jesus out and declared who he was. So John the Baptist is also a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But we also know something else about John the Baptist. John the Baptist lost his head just before this. Remember a couple months ago when he called out the king for doing the wrong things, and the king um, had him—well, uh, actually, the king's wife had him his head cut off. So, some of the people are saying that he's John the Baptist. And remember, matter of fact, actually, um, even I think it was Herod thought that he was John the Baptist come back from the dead. Like he was afraid that he was coming back to get him for what he had done to him. Like you could feel, he could feel that guilt and that uh, condemnation about what he had done to the righteous man, John the Baptist. And so he thought that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated. And it said that some of the other ones say that he is Elijah. Now, why is that so important? Because in the Old Testament, the prophecy was that the coming one would be in the same old as Elijah. What did Elijah do? Elijah called fire down from heaven. Remember on the Battle of Mount Carmel? Uh, uh, Elijah stood up to uh, Ahab and, and Jezebel. Remember, he, he, uh, he stood up to the powers that be. And he was uh, a voice of, of just a few. All of the children of Israel had fallen into Baal worship. And what did Elijah do? He came and called them out on their sin and told them to return, uh, to repent and to turn back. So, uh, uh, And also, um, there's also the Jewish people believe that um, before the end of time that Elijah would come back. That, that right before uh, the end of, of time that Elijah would return. Matter of fact, if you were to ever go to a Jewish home and eat at Passover, uh, have a meal, the Seder meal with the people at Passover in, at a Jewish table, um, there's always an empty chair at that table. Right? And what is that chair for? They, they think that Elijah is going to come in and sit down and join him at the, at the meal. The last, the last paragraph of the Old Testament that's the last thing the Old Testament says is Elijah's going to come. Good. You want to read that for us? Yeah. 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Okay. So, the Jews are looking for Elijah to come because when he shows up, that's going to be the time of the last day. But doesn't it, when Christ goes to heaven, didn't, didn't Elijah meet him? I mean, wasn't there... At the Mount of Transfiguration, yeah. Elijah was there, yes. Yeah. And so was Moses. Yep. Right. Moses represents the, the law, the Torah, and, and Elijah represents the prophets. And so Jesus is the summation of the law and the prophets. Like, he's the living... He's the living substance and, of the and law. When we read our, um, our laws in, in church, it says the very last part of it, the laws and the prophets. Yep. It, it all comes together. Yep, good. That's very, very good. good. Yep. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Like it all points to him. So they think it's Elijah, but he's not Elijah, is he? Mm-hmm. No. <clears throat> he's actually the one that empowered Elijah to do what he did. You see, he's God. But it says um, some thought that he was Jeremy or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Why? Why do they think that he is one of the prophets? What did the prophets do, guys? Miracles. They did miracles, and he's doing miracles. Good. What else? Spoke for God. Spoke for God. That's exactly right. He, he, He literally spoke God's words. And what else? He called people to what? Repent. repent. What does it mean to repent? To turn from your sins. Yeah, turn away from the wicked things that you're doing and turn back and walk with God. So he called people to repent and he proclaimed the salvation of the Lord. He proclaimed the day of the Lord, that the day of judgment was coming and the day of salvation was coming. And the prophets would proclaim that the Messiah would come, the one who was going to save us would come. And so you can see why the Jewish people at that time were looking for Elijah or looking for a prophet or looking for someone. There had been 400 years since Malachi, since Malachi said that, that Elijah would come. There had been 400 years where there had been no prophets. But still, the That would be going back for us until 1620, the time of the pilgrims. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like the Jews were the hardest people on the face of the planet because the, the whole Old Testament tells you about the coming of Christ. It describes it almost to the letter. Right. And they're still looking for Elijah and not Christ. Yeah. And well, and because the the listen, the hard, the most deceived people in the world are religious people. The the hardest person in the world to convince that they they're not seeing things right is someone who is grounded and founded in what they believe. Like self-deception is the greatest deception that there is. And Satan uses religion as a way to deceive people. I mean, he even, remember, the devil even quoted scripture at Jesus. Yes, he did. Like, so the devil loves to use scripture as a way to confound people. He was. He's a fallen angel. And you know, those were not atheists that drove those planes into the World Trade Center. Yeah, they believed in a Those God. Were devout Islamists. Yeah, they believed in they a God. In Allah, not our yeah, God. that's what I was right. going to say. Their God is Allah, which is right. Satan. They believed in a God, but not the God. He said people who believe are harder to convince than people who believe. Right. Oh, I, I see what right. you're saying. Like, like my Roman Catholic so friends. Right. <laughs> see you down there, Michael. It's good to see you, bro. So, um, matter of fact, God, huh? so Allah was God for uh, the Muslim. Is it Muslims? Muslims. Muslims, yeah. Muslims. Well, Muslim, however you want to say. Isn't it their version of God? There is only one true There's version one of God. God. They're deceived. They are deceived. So, so what, why are the different um, religions? Because, That's what he's telling you to beware of those false teachings. To beware. There's one because God. there's only one true path. There's yeah, only one truth. And not only are the <laughs> Muslims. No. Not only are the Muslims capable of being received, but us as Christians, we're capable of being deceived sure. too. You know, he's not Satan is not as likely, I don't believe, to try to even deceive the Muslims because it does say in the Bible that after Satan is bound for a thousand years, that there's going to be those nations that never had God in them to begin with. You see what I'm saying? And then yep. what they're going to do, they're going to try to worship God when Satan is bound, and then once he's released back on earth again. Then that's when he goes to deceive the Muslim nations. And well, the, the the reality is this: that Satan is bound now, because when Christ died on the cross, the gospel message can now be proclaimed to all of the world. <coughs> so so remember, when Jesus came and proclaimed the gospel, who do we know that he proclaimed it to? 
to Jews the Jews. and the but Gentiles. But there still is countries that will not allow, like China. Right. He cheated, right. But, they killed but, but, but watch. You know but, what I'm saying? They don't want them even in their country. Right. But watch. So all through the Old Testament, there was really only one group of people that God was working with. Like all of the rest of the world was in darkness. It was just the Jewish people that had the light. Now, you had exceptions. You had Rahab the harlot. You had Gentiles that came in and became believers. God fears. Right? But the reality was the only people that God was dealing with at that time was the nation of Israel. After Jesus died on the cross and ascended into heaven, God saved a little man named uh, uh, Saul and changed his name to Paul. And he became a apostle to who? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. So what happened? At the cross, Jesus' death on the cross pinned Satan down where he could no longer deceive the nations. The gospel message is now allowed to go out to all of the world. And there are deceived people in the United States mm-hmm. and all over the world. But in those countries you're talking about, China and Afghanistan, the church is growing faster in those places than it is here in the United States. And it's a living religion. These people are meeting under the threat of having their head cut off. Right. And we won't even meet because we're afraid we're going to get a virus. Right. Like these people are they're serious about the gospel. And so what it shows is that no matter what Satan tries to do, now the gospel is able to go to all four corners of the earth. So if you read that in Revelation, in Revelation 20, where you're talking about how Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years, the reality is it says the reason he's going to be bound for a thousand years is so that he can no longer deceive the nations, the ethnos, the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so at the cross, Jesus literally pinned them down so that now the message can go out to all of the world. Before the cross, it was only one little group of people. The rest of the world was Satan well, folks, has been. You can be deceived. Hmm. Do I? For that thousand years that Heather's talking about in Revelations, right. Jesus will be. I mean, Satan will be bound so that. The binding is well, to keep him. Right now, the binding is to keep him. Deceived. The binding is to keep him from deceiving the nations. That's right. what it says. Mm-hmm. All right. The nations in 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 Revelation. The nations is the ethnos, the Gentiles, the, the, the people of the world. So when Jesus died on the cross, he pinned Satan down. And he's now allowing the gospel message to go out to all of the world. So before the cross, Satan basically owned the whole world except for God's few little people that believe. Like Satan kept the whole world in darkness. But after his own people rejected him... Who did he turn to? To the Gentiles. And now what's happened to the gospel message? Instead of it being in just a little 60 mile square uh, speck of uh, dirt over there in the Middle East, now the gospel's going everywhere. And it's because Jesus has is literally bound Satan to where he can no longer deceive the nation. So Satan being bound doesn't mean that everybody believes all of a sudden. No, 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 no. What it, his power is limited. Deceived. That's exactly right. Yeah. He's, he's bound. And we also know this. He's also a roaring lion rolling around seeking who he can devour, who he can deceive, who he can control. But now that the gospel light has gone out to all of the world, now he now he's got his hands full. Because the gospel is going out and doing what it's done, we, and we'll see that, and we're going to see that in just a minute. We're going to see where it says the gates of hell cannot there is, prevail. There is part of Heather's point that is important that Satan's not going to try as hard to the Muslims and the Chinese right. because they're already not <laughs> believing in Christ. So Satan is that's going to called low, low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. Satan's going to concentrate on taking Christ's children. Yeah. Well, in deceiving, right. so, deceiving us so and keeping the go- and keeping the gospel. And that's what you meant. Right. right. That's what I was sure. Thinking, yeah. And well, and not only that, but remember, we're actually born in deception. <laughs> remember, we're born in deception. Like our natural, our natural state as being born into this world is that um, our minds and our hearts are opposed to anything of God. Like we don't want to believe. We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to do what God tells us to do. And so. Not only is the devil uh, one of the factors that keeps people in the darkness, but our own sin yes. and our own unwillingness to trust God keeps us in the dark. Well, and our want to go out and do what we're not supposed to. All right. That's there, right. <laughs> so in verse 15, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? 
and Simon Peter. Now, what's so funny about this is that um, is that Simon Peter is always the one to open his mouth first. Like he's that dude in class that always raises his hand and has the answer, right? Ooh, ooh, Mr. Connor, Mr. Connor, right? He's Jesus's Lori, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but his problem is this: sometimes when he's the first to speak, he makes amazing statements, but. But then sometimes he puts his foot right in his mouth. We'll see that today. He says, you are the Christ. And Jesus is going to applaud him and say, blessed are you, um, Peter. Uh, it's, not your, it's not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but the Spirit of God. In other words, the Spirit of God is working you for your eyes to be open and recognize this. But then in the very next statement, we'll see this next week. Uh, Jesus is going to, as soon as he finishes this statement right here, Jesus is going to say, now i got to go into Jerusalem and die. And Peter was like, oh no, you're not going to die. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So at one minute, he's speaking the very truth of God. And the next minute, he's trying to prevent Jesus from going to Jerusalem and, and dying. And he has to. And he has to. And Peter's like, no, 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 you can't go die. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. In other words, the devil's using you, Peter, uh, to try to convince me not to go to Jerusalem. Right. So at one minute, he's just like us. He, he, he's he's imagine, just like us. Imagine you know, knowing what you're going to face. He, going sometimes he it. blurts out amazing truths, and sometimes he blurts out complete nonsense. It's just like us. But he says, who do you say that they are? And so Peter said, Simon Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And that is a unique statement. Now remember, if you're in this room today, and you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, you are a son or a daughter of God. But you are a son or daughter of God not by uh, blood, not by genetics, but by adoption. You've been adopted into the family of God, and that's what makes you a child of God. Jesus is the, it's, it's really not even right to say this, but he's the natural son of God. Like, he is the very essence of his father, of the same substance. The only begotten. The only begotten. That's exactly right. So, when Peter said, you are the Christ, remember that word? Who remembers what we said the word Christos means? Right? For you Catholics in the room, what does it mean to be christened? Christened, uh, baptized. Well, it means to be christened, but I forgot I'm in a room with Presbyterians too. So, right? The word for sprinkling is ratizo in Greek, and the word for being submerged underwater is baptizo. So, uh, of course, I'm a Baptist, so I'm going to be very biased on the way that I see that. But the reality is, what does it mean to be christened? Anointed. Anointed. To have oil poured on your head. And that's coming from a good Presbyterian. That's a, that's a former Episcopalian. <laughs> yeah. So. Hmm? <laughs> no, I'm a Christian. We all believe in the same faith. Yeah, we all he believe. baptizes. We, you know. we don't, folks. Y'all sprinkle folks. Yeah. <laughs> you know I'm, how I'm used to see people. Also, you drown people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You drown people. Yeah. No, we don't. If you're, if you're <laughs> saved, you're anymore. Right. <laughs> so, okay. sprinkles people? so we have to. We do. Look right here. What is that? That's the uh, devil's. Yeah. Crust. But we do have to stay focused. We got 50. I don't want to get off on a. On a Goose chase. To be the Christ means that he is the anointed one. If you remember in the Old Testament when uh, Samuel went and found David, that David was going to be the next king. Or when he went and found Saul. When he went and found Saul to be the king of Israel, what did he do? He had a horn full of oil. And what did he do? Poured it over his head. When David was going to be anointed the king, uh, remember the Holy Spirit impressed upon Samuel, this is the one, anoint him. And so what did Samuel do? He poured the oil over David's head. And what did it say? And at that moment, the Spirit of God came upon him and left Saul. Like so, the anointing, the anointing uh, for you and I, that anointing or that christening or whatever, it's identifying you with him. Jesus was anointed as the Christ, which is, the Christos means the anointed one. Well, what does that mean? That all through the scriptures, there was a promise that one that was going to come, that was going to rule and reign and save his people. Like, that's been a promise since the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, he told uh, Eve that one day you're going to have a baby, 
and that baby's going to crush the serpent's head. And so there was a promise that one day one was going to come, the anointed one, the one appointed by God was going to come and save them. So when we call Jesus Christ, we're recognizing that He is the promised one. He is the anointed one. Remember when He got baptized and He was in the water? Y'all remember that? He was in the water. And the Spirit of God came down upon Him in the water and a, and a voice from heaven said, what? This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. And so there's the Trinity. you got Jesus standing in the water. You have the Holy Spirit coming down and covering Him. And you have the Father from heaven's voice saying, This is my Son. So God the Father is not a ventriloquist, right? He didn't, you know, or Jesus is not a ventriloquist. He wasn't throwing making it, his voice, right? throwing his voice. It was his Father. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit stand in the water. And what did he say? This is the one. This is the Christ. This is the anointed one. And so Peter recognizes that and said, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And you'll learn later on in, in, in one of the, in 1 John, I think it is, that no one can call Jesus the Christ. No one can call him the Son of God without the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Like the the natural man who is not a believer would never recognize Jesus as the anointed one or the Christ. And so by Peter recognizing that, what does Jesus say to him next? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So how is it that Jesus, uh, that Peter is able to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, because that Jesus is the God Son of the God? Because God the Father opened Peter's heart to a deeper knowledge. That's a great study note, Lori. <laughs> you read a study note, did. didn't you? All right, that's okay. I thought, see, that's how, that's how I learn and fully understand. I, 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 was, I was really impressed, and then I seen you looking at your study note, but I'm still impressed. <laughs> I'm glad that you were looking for it. That means next time all right, you don't so, need to look at the notes. All right, so nobody else, nobody else look at your notes. Somebody else tell me what Lori just said. What does that mean? Why is it so amazing that Peter was able to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the anointed Christ? The Christ? Why is that so amazing? Because God was communicating with him. The Father, uh, in, who art in heaven, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, opened, like you said, opened Peter's eyes and his heart to understand that this really is the one. He really is the one. He's the one that's been promised. When I was a kid, Peter's thinking to himself, when I was a kid and listening to the, uh, in the synagogue. It's all and, true. Yeah, that Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of that, Malachi was prophesying. It's him. He's the one. Pope. So was the first pope, right? No, we're, we're fixing it in that. Just a second. All right? Okay. Wow. Okay. Now, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. So, to understand these things requires a spiritual work in the heart and mind of a man. The natural man does not receive the things of God, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It won't make sense to him. It will not make sense at all. But what is Peter showing? that he is a true believer and that the Spirit of God is at work in his life because he's seeing that this really is the one. This is He is the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He is the one that has come to save us. He is the one that will judge us on the last day. Like, this is him. And Jesus congratulates Peter, doesn't he? He said, you're blessed, Peter, because it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed that to you. It had that revelation, that understanding, that knowledge had to come from my Father or you would have never seen it. If that had been Lori, she would have said, "Do I get an A plus?" And, yeah. and Jesus would have said, "Jesus would have said, and you got that A plus because somebody gave you the right I, I, answer." Yeah, I'm gonna. And, and that didn't come from yeah. you. That came from somebody. And else. Jesus would say to Lori, "Your MacArthur study notes or or your ESV study notes or what reveal that to you?" But we we know that's right. So. But he'd also tell me how much he loves me. Yes, very much. Now, let's look at verse 18. It says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, will not overpower it. All right, so my friend Michael down there is staring and saying that Peter is the first pope, right? Because he's saying that the church was founded upon Peter. That's what the Catholics believe. The church was founded on the authority of Peter that Jesus gave him. The problem with that is, is that the word Peter and the word rock, the word Petros means rock. All right? It mean, that's what it means. Petros means rock. He said, you are Peter. You are Petros. You, but 
the word Petros and the word rock in this statement right here in verse 18, Peter and the rock are two different words. Yeah. It's Petros and Petra. Petros means little pebble. Petra means mountain. Okay? So if you wanted to translate it from the original, it would sound like this. Blessed are you, little rock. Blessed are you, little rock, because on this mountain, I'm going to build my church. So who is the focus of this, what we're reading here today? Jesus. Jesus. Not Peter. Jesus. He's little rock. Jesus is it, the mountain. It's the mountain. And so watch what he says. He says, I say to you, blessed are you, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Okay, so let me say one quick thing about the gates of hell. The gates of hell are a defensive mechanism. Gates are not there to, gates are there to keep people what? Out. Out. So, what is it saying? It's saying that Christ and the truth and the gospel are going to literally storm the gates of hell and there's no way that the gates of hell are going to be able to prevail against the attack of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we tend to think of it being the church is here and the devil's constantly attacking us, but from Jesus' perspective, it's the truth and the gospel that is literally overrunning Satan in the darkness. And the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. Even like so, even using the example of China, like Heather said earlier, the Christian religion is growing faster and in secret, but but Good. it's secret from the government. But it's flourishing because they see hell all around. Good. Them. I, I read that there are more practicing Christians in China than there are in the United States. Well, that, wow. Well, that so makes sense because there's two billion people in China, right, and right. we and only have three hundred million percentage. in the United States. But think about it. More Christians in China than in the United States. But so th- why is that? Well, because you know, just from nature, you know that light shines the brightest in dark places. That's right. And, they're living and so the darker it is, the more bright the gospel is going to shine there. And so, but watch what he said. You are Peter, mm-hmm. and upon this rock I will build my church. All right, I want you to keep that in mind because with the last few minutes of class we have, I want to go and look at a couple of verses of Scripture. But this rock is Jesus and the promise. This rock is the truth of God. That is the foundation of the church. Where is this church? Tell me which church is this church. The church is the spiritual his spiritual body. He's the head of the church. And we're gonna we'll see that in just a second. He's the head of the church and all of the believers make up his body. The church is the body of Christ. Okay? Jesus is the head, and all of the believers build that body. On the rock. Huh? So they build a church on the rock? Yes. And we're going to find out who that rock is in just a second. We'll see that. So a lot of people think, some people think that it's Peter, that that's who God built the church on. But the reality is the church has been built on the promise of God. But Peter was designed to be there for a reason. I mean, he's one of the disciples. Now, now remember, if Peter is the rock that the church is founded on, right, he's not. in the next statement, he's going to Jesus is going to call him a uh, get behind me, Satan. He's going to call yeah, him Satan. Has, it has to be Jesus because he's what we he's what on. good. We're going to see that in a minute. But what does he say? He says, "I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he's the Christ. All right, so before we get into that last statement, I do want to go back and look at this rock that we're talking about here. Who is the rock? Is it Peter or is it Jesus? Okay, so turn with me. Let's start in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Isaiah 28, verse 16. Isaiah 28 and verse 16. Isaiah is just after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Right after that. So we're going to look at Isaiah 28 and verse 16. All right. All right. Y'all got it? Yeah. Isaiah 28 verse 16. Now this is a prophet Isaiah, and this is about 700 years before... 
well, you know, about 700 years before Jesus was ever born, about 700 years before Peter was ever born, okay? This is before Jesus or Peter were, were walking the earth. And this is what he says. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion. Where is Zion? The city of God. I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. So God is saying he is planting a stone. Y'all got that? All right, now go to the New Testament. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. It's in the back. Yeah, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So it's right after the book of Acts. Romans 9 and verse 33. I might be telling you the wrong verse. Verse 30, maybe? 32. Mm-hmm. Stumbled over the stumbling stone. Yeah, verse 33. Mm-hmm. Laying in Zion. Mm-hmm. Stone uh, yeah. yeah, I'm looking at Romans 8. That's why. It's... Okay, so Romans um, 9.33. 9, Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, in Isaiah, it said, whoever believes in it will not be disturbed. Uh Remember that in Isaiah? Whoever believes in it will not be disturbed. But Paul uses this, says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So what's happened? What's happened in that 700 years? Why is Paul able to say who is able to believe in him instead of who is able to believe in it? What's the difference? It's become a person. He's a person now. That rock that was in it that you could put your trust in and you would not be disturbed is now a person. And who is the person? Jesus. Whoever believes in him will not be disturbed. And that disappointed. could have been an institution instead of a person. Yes. If yes. you want to talk yes. about the Catholics. Yeah. So, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, I love you, brother, but he's not talking about Peter there. We're not to put our... our Faith in Peter will not save us. Right, right, right. It's faith in Christ. All right. So let's look at first Peter. Let's go to Peter now. The one that Jesus said, you are the Petros. You are the rock. Let's go to first Peter 2 and verse 7. It's going back to the right, Julie. Uh, Hebrews, James, and Peter. All right, and we're looking at 1 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8. So, actually, let's start in verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is a choice and precious in the sight of God. For you are living stones. Now, he's talking about us. He's talking about believers. You see why I have such a hard head, Steve? <laughs> you are living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for those who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they were disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. All right? So what are you saying? God's laying a rock down and those who are built up on that rock are the lively stones. Those are the believers. But to the ones who reject it, what is that stone going to do? It's going to crush them. So if we believe in him, we're built up on that stone. If we don't believe in him, we're crushed by that stone. One more verse and then we'll call it a class. First Peter 2. Oh, we've actually, we've already gone through all that. So we got it all. Um, so Peter 2, 17. look at that again and then we'll close with prayer. First Peter 2. This is Peter writing this. All right. This is Peter, the one that Jesus said, you are Petros. And on this Petra, I will build my church. This is Peter writing this. And what does he say? He says, Coming to men as living a living stone, 
uh, coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. So Jesus is this cornerstone. He's this living stone. And people, men, will reject him. All right, have we seen that? Oh, yeah. Yes. But you, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. All right, so what does he say? He says Jesus is the cornerstone and the believer is a little stone built up on top. Now, a cornerstone is the, when you build a house, it's the foundational stone you build a house on. It's where all the rest, the weight rests. But what does he compare? So he's saying Jesus is the cornerstone and we are all living stones built up on him. And what do, what, so what do you get when you take that cornerstone and all of the living stones and build them up? The church. It's the body of Christ. You see? So the church is not IPC down on Bull Street. That's not the church. That is that is a, a matter of fact, you, any of you good Presbyterians would understand that you used to not call it the church. You called it a meeting house. Did you know that? Presbyterians called it the meeting house. Why? Because the church is not a building, a physical building. It's the people. And how did that church start? By the cornerstone being laid. Who is the cornerstone? Jesus. Jesus. And when was that cornerstone laid? Before the foundation of the world. And so from Genesis, when he covered Eve and Adam in, in animal skins, until the last believer who is going to believe, God has been gathering those living stones together and building them up as the body of Christ. See how that works? And it's all his promises, and it's all about him. And Peter recognized that. Why? Because he was not relying on human wisdom. It was God the Father in heaven who revealed it to him. And if you're in this room today and you are a believer, the reason you are a believer is because God revealed it to you. Had he never reached down to you, you would never have believed. He showed you who he was so that you could receive him and believe him. Amen? All right. Father, thank you for this time we had together. Thank you for your son Jesus. And thank you for uh, uh, your promise and your wisdom and your magnificent plan and purpose for all of our lives. I do pray for every person here who is a believer, who is a living stone uh, being built up to to make your uh, church. I pray that you will help us. I pray you will help us to be uh, sturdy and, and steadfast and believing and, and trusting. And I pray that you will help us to all go out into this world who is certainly uh, in all kind of chaos and pandemonium. Help us to be a sturdy and stable influence in a world around us that has fallen apart, knowing that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against your plan and your purpose. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a good week, everybody. God bless.